Hello, and welcome to the 52nd episode of Off the Record. Jesse, when we started this podcast, you were marginally younger. I am now marginally older, and my head significantly older, and uh, we, we, we've hit the one-year mark of episodes. But that, that's something. Now, why is your head aging more than the rest of you? What does that mean? I thought you said your head's significantly older. Uh, oh, in my head. It's significantly oh. older. Oh, I see. I wow. see. I see. I thought you were about to make some some I, I astute you, you, observation, like maybe I have gray hair or something. I I, I thought you were using that uh, how dash old dot net thing and checking oh, your age. Yeah, or something. there's been like there's been like a lot of memes that have popped up like that lately, and I've missed all of them. Like there was this little thing last week about like like some app out of China or Japan of like little dance dancing guys. emojis. Oh, those then are there, terrible. Then there's this how old thing. And now today there's this bit emoji. I'm not sure if you've seen that. I've been doing this thing called work today instead of sitting on the internet. I know. So I, I just I keep seeing this stuff on Twitter that like by the time this episode airs, something else will have gone. I feel like we're getting too old to stay hip. We, we used to joke that, uh, you know, like five, six years ago that it – the music business, like one day is one blog year. Wow! And that, but now I think we need to get into meme years, which is like meme really years. like meme like, years. You, so, so listen, like sometimes, do you ever notice like you wake up and or you just get around to checking Twitter like at around noon because you just got too much of a shitstorm, and you're like, you scroll back through Twitter and then your tweet deck messes up and it won't go back more than two hours. Then you find out you missed all these things that happened in the morning. And you're like, do I really have to read this thing every three hours? Right, that's what we would call like a Twitter completionist versus not. Mm. Um, I, I definitely, as, as time has gone on, I've become less of a completionist, but it hurts me. I feel like I need to see everything because I'll miss important links. I'll miss someone making fun of Thomas for being tall. You know, there are things that I don't want to miss in my day. The important things in life. I, right. I, you know, I, I unplugged this weekend. I didn't answer an email. Uh, yeah, so for some follow-up that no one knew about, but I feel like bringing up. I, I, want, I have not talked to Jesse in a few days because he emailed me on Thursday, I think, and he said, hey, I'm not going to be around this weekend unless there's an emergency. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, New Orleans. And so... I honestly thought there was a chance we wouldn't have a 50-second episode. It came pretty close, trust me. So how what, how was the uh, South? I, I love New Orleans. Would you consider I, New Orleans the South? Like, I know it's the South, but I feel like it's its own. Yeah, it's its own thing. Like, Florida um, is also the South, but Florida, like, the South doesn't necessarily need to be compared to Florida for this because the South is better than that. There's a, there's a difference. You see, New Orleans is a very punk rock town, whereas Miami is the least punk town in America. And, like, Florida is the worst of the South. Maybe Mississippi, Alabama, too, and all the rest of Louisiana. But whereas, like, New Orleans, that's just, it's the best. I mean, I, I was so full that by the second to last night, I had to switch to shots because my stomach couldn't fit anything else but shots. And as you know from these episodes, I hate shots. Um, I think you love shots. I really hate shots. I think Jesse probably got a little white girl wasted this weekend. I woke up drunk two days. Two days? I've, I've never woke up drunk before. Well, you're not 37 at a bachelor party. But is that party. like a mistake? You, you, I, but I, I have a legitimate question. Like, I feel like I should, by like before it, because like so, you're saying you woke up drunk and it's like bad, right? Okay, okay. I'm gonna give you a little little education about what will happen to you as you drink through the years. Okay. All my friends who are uh, I went with, they've been my punk rock friends for 20 years. We've been going to punk shows together for that long, but they're all. You know, we all have allowed careers, but they have families and wives and kids and stuff. So they don't get out much. So when they get out, it's like 
the lion that's been caged for a long time. Oh. You know, the lion goes running when it's been in that cage for a long time. I always say it. Like, if I go out with even my most party animal friends who like to go to dance shows, I wake up the next day and I wasn't that drunk. When I go out with my married friends who have been caged up for all this time, it gets really, really ugly. But so, like, before I turn 23, should I make sure I wake up drunk one day or... I'm, I'm not really... I'm going to be honest with you. I think I was 23 the first time I woke up drunk. So does that mean you, you started to get weak and couldn't handle it? Like, I'm not making fun of you. I'm just, like, no, trying no, no, to... Th- I, I think it's that you you literally hit a point where you drink so much. Like, and no so- matter the hours in between, you are helpless. Yeah, like, it's... It, well, so if you think of it this way, I was even getting, like, eight hours of sleep a night. So wow. that means when I stopped drinking, there was still eight hours of alcohol pouring through me, getting more and more drunk. I, uh... Wow. I guess I just don't know how to have fun. Yeah, I, I wouldn't doubt that, to be honest with you. Um, But, you know, if you ever go down to New Orleans with you, with your uh, boys, I, I guarantee you, you'll have a lot of fun. Well, you know the other thing about why this happens in New Orleans, though, Zach? The bars don't close. Oh, that's right. I've only gone to New Orleans once for 24 hours. I almost went to college in New Orleans, Jesse. Oh. One of the three colleges I think I got into was at New Orleans. Mm. Well, I you, would, you would whale. Actually, you're vegetarian. You wouldn't whale a lot more, but... Um, <laughs> It, it, it's an eating town when you're not vegetarian. No, yeah, I went when I wasn't. Uh, I mean, I love. I'm, I'm a pescatarian though, uh, as my oh, girlfriend yes. would point actually, out. Actually, actually, that, that, that you would that you that you would be fat because it's really about the crawfish and the shrimp. Right, and I'm a big fan of those those New foods. Mm. Well, let me tell you, I had a I had a wonderful weekend. I, I literally felt like I was gonna explode uh, on the plane. So yes. Anyway, uh, we we've been doing this for 52 years. Episodes. <laughs> episodes. Yes. Uh, I would like to say that I am on my steady march towards graduation, and uh, I have an eight-page psychology paper and five shows to go to this week, and then skin surf. My head's kind of everywhere, so I don't really know what I'm saying at this point in life. Also, allergies are a thing again. Um, oh, my It God. turns out, I know you guys all are aware that I'm allergic to eight out of ten foods that exist in the world. To, I mean, you, you know what everybody's probably not aware of? That I... Uh... Edit out about twenty sniffles from your nose every episode, so they don't have to hear them. I sniff. It's it's bad. Yeah, I'm sorry, but yes, the the now the air has started to also try to kill me, and I can't just I just can't win. It's true. The air is trying to kill you. Yeah, uh, but anyway, just re- very quickly before we get too long in this, uh, thank you guys, anyone who's listened since episode one, some episodes in between, or just recently. Uh, it's we haven't missed a single episode. We purposely took one week off over New Year's, um, and to do something fifty-two out of fifty-three weeks in a row is pretty is pretty cool. I, I don't think there's many things that I, I've done every week consistently for a year out of you know normal life stuff. Um, and it's been a pleasure doing this with Jesse. And um, this will probably be our last episode. No, uh, <laughs> thank you guys. A lot, of, a lot of people end after a year. I remember reading a statistic that most podcasts don't last a year. A lot of podcasts also end like when they hit a hundred, you know, yeah. like, uh, but regardless, it's, it's been fun. It's been very cool to grow, to get a little better at this, hopefully to join Adobe and hopefully there's more good stuff to come. So thank you. Yes. Jesse doesn't know how to say sentimental things. So we'll move on. You said it all for me. Wait, 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 you've been very, getting very good at saying the thing I would have said, so I'm, I, I feel like I'm trading you well or something. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. See, see, try to diss so that I diss back. Uh, anyway, my girlfriend, <laughs> for at least two months of the coming year, will be moving in with Thomas Nassif. What? 
And and do you know what train line he lives off of? The G. The G. Oh, that poor girl. My lovely partner will be moving to New York for a job in June. Uh, that'd, be, that'd also mean she's going to be living like three miles from me. Maybe we'll, we'll actually see each other. She'll be living footsteps down the hall from the giant dude. Oh, man. I, off oh, the man. G train. It's I, I don't look. I, we talked about breaking up because of it, but we're going to see how it works out. I just oh, I just man. thought that this will definitely be a development, and I wanted to get it out there early. It was my idea, so it's my fault. That means bo- bo- both of our girls will be living in bed I don't even know. Anyway. You don't even know what that is. I don't even know what that is. Um, So, so, so to do some quick follow-up before we get into some other things, um, we've talked about Apple and Beats a lot on this podcast recently. Uh, Over the past week, there have been a few new updates. Um, Apple is actually pushing music labels to kill Spotify's free streaming ahead of the Beats relaunch. Uh, So the Beats relaunch is planned to come in uh, exactly a month, actually, at WWDC in June. Um, Apple is attempting to pressure uh, Universal and, and others to take away freemium from Spotify and YouTube. I think there could be a uh, small chance of this happening, but I don't see it happening unless once Apple's uh, service actually launches, it becomes very, very large um, and, and has a market share to where they actually have power. But for the first time in a long time, Apple does not have power in this case. But I think it's interesting that Apple is really still going for it. I think we have to remember that Spotify just got $400 million more dollars. A lot of and, money, dude. And a lot of that is to convert new subscribers to be able to do this thing, like how they're doing the dollar subscription sign up for people who have never signed up before, things like that. And I think them trying to do this is a thing that's not going to happen. Um, it's just the same way as that, you know, you sometimes see Waldo the nerd from um, the Hot for Teacher video try to get the prom queen. It's not happening, bro. Yeah, regardless, I'm, I'm still excited to everything to see. Even if it's not popular, I don't think Apple will kill it off. So as long as it's good and what we, we've talked about before, how it looks interesting to me, at least, I'm excited. Uh, and then a little bit more follow-up. It seems like Apple actually, according to a report from Billboard that came out today on 5.5, Cinco de Mayo, um, Apple does not necessarily have all the deals in place to launch its uh, beach revamp yet, uh, deals from major labels, so that could be interesting. Uh, So apparently it will be announced in June, but it won't come out in June until the deals are done. So we'll keep you updated there. We should do some title follow-up which is that one thing that they were going to allow independent artists to upload directly. As we said on the episode, I don't think that's actually happening. It is not actually happening. So you won't be seeing a MySpace-type service from Tidal. Two, supposedly they are paying a higher royalty rate than Spotify. Yes, uh, supposedly so. This Tidal, there still seems to be a lot coming out and a lot being incorrect and some being right. And that's not necessarily a diss on Tidal or anything. It's just a major service that is not necessarily brand new, but it's brand new to us and to the public and, frankly, to its owner, Jay-Z, or owners, the 17 other people on stage with Jay-Z. So uh, I'm still interested, and I, I just think it's going to take a little bit more time for the dust to settle. And when there are millions and millions and millions of dollars on the line, it, it can take a while. So with that, we should get into what happened before Title Spotify beats all this, which was the need for a horrible service named Groove Shark from Gainesville, Florida. All things oh, from that's Gainesville. Why it's so all terrible. things from Gainesville, that's Florida. Why it's so t- yeah, yeah. 
It's I didn't it, realize. Right. Uh, well, it, it would take a, a Florida man to do something this stupid. Yes, Florida is either Scott-related or Thomas Nassif-related. Neither of these things are good. But this is true. Scott is a plague on humanity. Would you like to... I, you definitely had a Scott phase, man. I wouldn't call it a phase. That's what, that my favorite record of all time, The Clash London Calling, has some Scott on it. Does it? I mean, I forget that you haven't listened to most classic records, but um, yes, the, the greatest punk record dash the greatest record of all time has a little bit of ska on it. But aside from that, I really am not too into the ska. I always wanted to like ska, but I think it might be okay that I didn't. Yes, it's okay Okay, if you don't like ska. So will you feel the lovely... I, I have a feeling some people do not have do not know what uh, a groove shark is. And then for those that do, can you explain very quickly the situation? Groove shark was arguably one of the more underrated, easy ways for people to, in a post-LimeWire world, get some of the more rarer, it's almost like a music nerd community for exchanging rarer tracks and more obscure tracks. Now, what I always found weird was like, it was kind of like this thing of like, if, People pulled their songs from eBay or like the band was too savvy. People would put it to Groove Shark and then somehow it wouldn't disappear on Groove Shark. And I remembered learning why it didn't, but that's what would happen. So Groove Shark probably got, I've never seen a, a site more sued and last so long. But so they finally, <laughs> it really is what true. What about the Pirate like, Bay? Uh, that, that's actually a good point. The Pirate Bay is probably been more sued, but you, the Pirate Bay, you get how they kept going because the Pirate Bay would go to these countries where there was no real internet regulation and they would get away with things. And like the U.S. government would have to put like crazy trade deals together with these countries where they would say, but you're going to crack down on piracy because the Weinstein Group and all these big movie studios are telling me if you don't do this, that they're not going to donate to my campaign. This was a American company that somehow contested copyright pretty well for long enough to sustain this service for, I want to say, at least five, six years. But anyway, so we thought we were rid of this plague. So the other thing I wanted to say about Groove Shark is Groove Shark served a purpose. I think its purpose was really dead because it now just seemed to be lowlifes who just kept avoiding paying for Spotify and didn't want to hear ads. And that takes you being a pretty big lowlife if you're still doing that. Mm. I, yeah, I never used Groove Shark. I think Groove Shark also kind of point, popped up before Spotify, before like streaming in America had like a mind share, you know? Yes. So it never, I mean, while I don't think it ever should have had a chance because <laughs> it's uh, how it does things, uh, I would I would say in general that uh, it, it also missed its boat. I was, funny, I was in class just a few hours ago and we were talking about popcorn time. Do you know about popcorn time? I do. I've learned what it is, but now I don't remember because it's been a bit since yeah, it so came popcorn out. Popcorn Time is essentially, it's like an interface that, that is above BitTorrent. So you go and yes. let's say you want to watch the event, the first Avengers movie. You just say, okay, I want to watch this movie. And it, I think techn technically it kind of brings together all the best torrents for the Avengers so you can have the best experience watching it. Yes. Uh, it is super illegal, but super compelling because <laughs> it's it's it sounds great, right? It's 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 like scumbag Netflix. I remember right. Now, it's yes. like scumbag Netflix, and uh, I was I was talking today in class. Like I would pay. You know, my biggest issue with Netflix is that uh, nine out of ten movies I want to watch, I can't. Right? Because nine out of ten movies either are either not on Netflix or they they only exist through Netflix still uh, uh, DVD business, which actually still exists. But I would pay more money to Netflix to have a service where I could watch all these DVDs. But uh, anyway, Groove Shark, yes. this Groove Shark thing popping back up today illegally, a mirrored version of Groove Shark.
Uh, also that has, that of, has 90% of the content that it had before. Also kind of reminds me of, uh, of popcorn time because it's just kind of mirroring all these torrents and illegal properties. Um, I should also say I did a fact check. It was it existed for eight years. Eight years is a long time. That's older. That's older than me. It really is. I think that there, the, there's another interesting thing with this, though, that you did just hit on, which is the thing of that, like, one of the things we see over and over again, and, like, when we talk about Spotify, is that, like, we got to have these be complete things so people use them and they can't be exclusives. Hint, hint, Jay-Z. And that we need this thing because I had the same thing of I had a conversation with a friend about how much more I would pay if I really could have a complete thing of movies. And like if every TV show in every place would just let me do it instead of me having to search around and jump from Hulu to Netflix to all these things that I just had one place where I could do it. I would definitely pay a lot more money a month just as people used to for cable because I'm sure tons of us have enough disposable income to get back the bullshit time that we deal with trying to find everything these days. Yeah, it's interesting. This may not actually be interesting to anyone listening, but like I pay for Hulu. Uh, my parents pay for Netflix. I would pay for Netflix if they didn't. Uh, I also just started paying for HBO now. Uh, Jesse, do you pay for HBO? Oh no, you have a you have one of the four passwords. I have I have a Go password. You have one of the four passwords in existence. Is but, that? But I pay I pay for Amazon. I pay for Amazon Prime as well. So like Netflix, Hulu, and tons of other. Yeah, so things. I pay for Hulu, HBO now. I would pay for Netflix, and I do pay for Amazon Prime, uh, and I pay twenty five dollars a year for iTunes Match, and I also pay uh, for Spotify. Jesse, I switched to Spotify from RDO last week. There's been a lot of articles lately, like the dream is now here. You can cord cut. However, you're not going to save any money from paying for cable. In fact, you may be paying more money with all the st- services that you uh, subscribe to. And that is uh, that is actually the con, is the more and more we see about this, you're going to just be paying more to cord cut. Yep, which in some ways, I don't, I, I was, I've never paid for cable because I, uh, I, I'm graduating soon. Um, I don't have a pro, like, I get why it sucks to have to pay X dollars a month for anything that you would just rather not pay for. Sure. But I also don't necessarily have a problem for it. Like I, I'm okay with paying $15 a month for HBO because there's about four hours of television a week, which is about, you know, 16 hours of television a month that I want to watch for that. So I'm okay with it. And then there's a whole back catalog of stuff. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of room to improve, but I think this is the very, very early phases still. So last week on April 27th, we published an article on the web on Property Zach called How Many Times uh, Should You Listen to a Song Before You Pay? The article was written by Jesse Cannon. Wonderful man. Author, producer. Uh, and this, this stemmed from a conversation we had in episode 50, The Truth About Spotify, about the title, How Many Times Should You Listen to a Song Before You Pay? We included a poll in this at the end of the article and um, we wanted to just talk about it briefly. There were 333 responses. Thanks, nerds. And so the options were, the options were, I shouldn't have to pay one time before I pay, two to five times before I pay, five to 10, 10 to 50, 50 to 100, or 100 plus times. The largest percent was 26.9% for five to 10 times. The second was two to five times, and the third was 10 to 50 the other few answers uh, were not really high in percentage, though I will say uh, 10.7% of people voted that they shouldn't have to pay when they, whenever they listen to a song. To those people, 
It's nice to know that scumbags who use Groove Shark won't read your website. Oh, maybe they maybe they follow your words. Maybe maybe they follow you because of your Politico tweets, and uh, those are the same people that re- that uh, listen to Groove Shark. What are you talking? What are you talking about? I, I I that's the opposite of my views. I'm a socialist. I believe we should put money into the arts from the government. That's the exact opposite. We, you know, we got a comment this week that you're too negative. So <laughs> that the person also is a fuckboy who made a stupid <laughs> statement. <clears throat> we go uh assaulting the listeners <laughs> assaulting the listeners so would you would you like to expand upon these results and what you think about that at all well, since five to ten won our poll that means that for spotify's president royalty rate there if we were going to do this with the people say they wanted to or at least our people our smart educated listeners we're going to have to improve spotify's royalty rate by 10 by 11.2 times Oof. That's never happened. That's never going to happen. It just, it's just, that's like, it's, it's, that's not possible. That's, that's expert. I know like it's only a, like 11 doesn't seem like a necessarily big number, but that's an exponential difference. <laughs> so that means we really have to rethink how musicians get compensated for music. Cause if at least we're going to get somewhere towards that. And that doesn't even get into the whole inflation thing we discussed in the article. That's really ugly. That's just getting us to some place where people feel this is fair. That's not good. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, I mean, I don't. So, would a general fair comment to be based off of this, just based off of the responses, would be that there's probably not a lot of interest from the listeners to greatly put more money somehow in the artist's pocket. Well, right? we like, didn't. We didn't ask them then if they would pay that. Right, right, right. But it's just interesting that. Like, I, I think we can all say we'd all like everyone to get paid. But in reality, dot, dot, are we going to pay? So 11 times more is $110 a month for music. I don't I don't I don't even use this. Like, I, I use Spotify once this month for a DJ set. I I buy all my music, but I don't spend $100 a month on music. So, no, I wouldn't pay that. I spend anywhere from zero to probably $100 a month on music. But I don't think that I spend $1,200 on buying music a year. I go to lots of shows. Like, you know, I buy a lot of merch, et cetera. But I don't, I don't know that I spend $1,200 a year buying digital music. I might spend that on vinyl, which is terrifying. I was about to say. I probably spend, spend that on vinyl. But you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm not actively spend. I'm not actively necessarily trying to go out and spend a hundred dollars a month on music. And I, I might be someone that could pay that. <laughs> well, here, here, here's the thing. I grew up at the time where you had to pay for music no right. matter what you couldn't steal it. Yeah. I mean, you could, could, if you had a big thick jacket that you threw things in, but I would spend, I would spend about a hundred dollars on music a week once I had a job. Mm-hmm. So a hundred dollars was worth more than a hundred dollars now. Probably. Back back in the day, back in the back in the nineteen fifties. Yeah, totally. Um, so I think that that's that that really is the thing about it is that yeah, maybe that is the thing of why the music business was so flush is that even if streaming did equal out to that, it would be a thing. But I just don't know that we're ever going to get people to cough up one hundred and ten dollars. And if we did, the inflation would be so up that it wouldn't matter. Right. Just real quick, when you were like, when you had a job and you were working as like a teenager, were you buying vinyl, CDs, or cassettes? I was, so it would be mostly CDs for like the good about it. 
a lot of seven inches. So one of the funny things about punk in the nineties is, is like everything would usually be available on CD or LP. Now there'd be some things that are just on CD. Some things are just on LP and then no CD. There, if you were a really hip band, you'd put out a 12 inch and not a CD to intentionally alienate the fuck boy seed kids. Like the equivalent to like kids who like just all time low these days. We're using that for a later reference when this kid asks his question. If you wanted to alienate the fuck boys, you would just put it out of vinyl. But so my spending would mostly be seven inches in CDs because mostly I would choose a CD so I could listen to it in the car if I could. But if it was only on seven inch and it was a single, then I'm just buying it on a seven inch. Got it. That's interesting. And then putting it on a cassette, usually on a mixtape. Uh, hmm, cassette. I've never bought a cassette. I wonder if I ever... Well, I guess you're not hip enough to buy from all these new cassette labels. Yes, that's accurate. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't know where this really goes out. I, I think, like, the only way for this to be a change is if there is such a massive market share for streaming and then the there's more power to raise the prices. But we're, we're still away. But they're never that. going up to $110 a month if that's really what we have to do. I mean, I think there is other nuances, but it's never going there. Right. I, I agree. Okay. There was this big article that everybody seemed to be sharing uh, that New York Magazine did about a guy who worked at a record plant who shared, who was the guy who was leaking on all the torrent sites or the file sharing sites, as we should call it, all the big records, and he was doing it right from the plant. Mm-hmm. And this, this story came out on April 27th, so it was a little over a week ago, and it has gotten some massive traction for like a music story because I think it's just kind of interesting, but it's really it's gotten a lot of traction. Well, I think it's an interesting thing because we then discuss like that thing of like we often credit the Napster guys for bringing down the music business. But one of the other things is I think it was inevitable that no matter what, somebody was going to open this Pandora's box. And we saw it. And you know, there was even like the famous thing that like there was a record store in New Jersey, an employee who every time the records would come in on Friday, he'd be sitting there and uploading them to what CD and waffles and who leaked or was it who leaked? Was that the one um, who it leaked? It leaked. And what CD? It. I used to use it leaked. Yeah, I never used it. I, I was. I, I did what CD a little bit mm-hmm. and waffles a little bit. So this this article is called "The Man Who Broke the Music Business." It's on. It was a pro, large, long profile by the New Yorker, and so it kind of tells a story that started in 1994 of C, of CDs from plants beginning to leak online. And if anyone's interested, but I think like I think it's kind of worth anyone to read, frankly. So there, there are stories of Blink-182's Take Off Your Pants and Jacket leaking uh, by this individual and also stories of Jay-Z music leaking by this individual. Like this guy, the guy who, the center of this story, um, had a massive effect on all music genres for major labels, frankly, you know? And it's a really interesting story. And there's not much to talk about just since it's been posted a lot on blogs and probably will be soon on the website. But it's a really interesting story. And these are the kind of stories that, like I'm happy about when they pop up because I, I don't think that we see a lot of long music stories. Um, and this was a really fascinating one. That well, I-, I think what's, what's interesting to, though to discuss the idea that we often get into the thing of like that what was like killing these first week record sales and like all this. It was always being blamed on some like weird, weird like boogeyman. And we now have a face to the boogeyman. It's kind of funny because, like, while it's not shocking, because we all were saying, hey, it's somebody at the fucking plants. Well, yeah. it was at the plants. I, you got to remember, too. So I worked at West West Side. So for people who don't know West West Side, most of your record collection, if you listen to punk music, gets mastered there. 
and we'd constantly, even me in particular, would get accused of doing these leaks. And obviously, I can say to you, I didn't ever do a fucking leak. It would just be that thing of, like, there's only so many people whose hands these are in. Like, you know, you see with bads these days that there's lots of dumb mistakes. Like, I can remember, like, years ago with an under oath record that the Adam D's assistant leaked it to try to be cool. Or, you know, with the Man Overboard record, I mean, it was like, you know, a writer who we trusted who gave it to a girl because he was trying to get laid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's it's so, like it's so interesting. And by the way, you mentioned something earlier. Um, uh, they, they removed they they pushed the yeah, sorry. Just recently, the official release day had been moved to Friday, and and this was something that popped up because of that too. Um, albums used to hit distribution plants on sorry used to hit record stores on Fridays in the U.S., but not go on sale until Tuesday. And they would ship out early because they would also ship out to other countries where the where the release date was potentially earlier than it was in the U.S. So all there were so many different ways for music to leak. I remember um, Paramore's self-titled record leaked a week early because music got to, uh, I think, Chile or Brazil a week early. Uh, so it leaked. Uh, <laughs> it's just, there's, it's so, it's so hard to be on top of everything. And it, it, this story, like, really shows that. So the Tricordist, a site that sometimes goes a little too batshit crazy for me. I've never heard of this website before. It's a guy who writes a lot about the issues of musicians being exploited. And sometimes he goes a little cray, but sometimes it's very odd. But So he's one of the people who's talking about a, a thing that is looking very nasty. So if you don't know this, Pandora and Spotify spend a lot of your money, which is another reason I don't love giving money to Spotify, on lobbying Congress to get musicians' royalties lowered. Because yet again, as we discussed in the other episode, it's not in Pandora's best interest to pay musicians a lot of money when they're going to IPO and they have to pay investors. It's in their best investor interest to pay investors as much money. And get consumers paying as little money that makes their profit model make sense into their pockets. So Pandora, in order to do this, has been blocked all sorts of ways from there being pre-existing legislation that doesn't allow them to pay musicians any lower than the pitiful royalty rate they already pay. So they're buying a terrestrial radio station to try to then claim that they're a old school radio station instead of what we would call a new school internet radio station and pay musicians a different royalty rate. You know, you, you know what the board member at Pandora thought about this? What did they think about it? Holy shit. I just created a great new life hack. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, rough dog. Tell me that. Tell me like the word life hack was not brought up. somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you might be, you, you might be right. A, a, a douchebag, especially a programmer. A, they bro love them a, a programmer. They, Love them a life hack. So yeah, basically, this is a hack. Uh, like, <laughs> this is like a this is like one of those. Well, it's technically not illegal, but right. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, it's really interesting in terms of a business move, uh, but it's really unfortunate. It, it's like you know what we were talking about just before this was that like. <laughs> hey, uh, some of you guys want to pay more. Some of you guys want to pay less. This, you know, there there are companies that actually make these decisions and those companies are the, uh, it, you know, Pandora is a company that has decided how much it's going to pay musicians, right? Pandora, Terribly. Pandora is now going out of its way to lower the standards it made for itself to try to pay less. Is that accurate? That is totally accurate. So the the standards that Pandora put forward to say, hey, we're going to pay artists this much money. <laughs> uh, they, they now realize, oh, man, we could have been paying artists less money. 
let's buy, let's spend money on a on terrestrial radio because that sounds like a good investment. So we can pay <laughs> so we can pay artists less money. It's kind of ridiculous. I mean, it's like it's genius in the worst way. I don't like. I don't even. It's. I mean, it's, it's definitely deplorable. <laughs> well, but this is this is the inherent problem, and it was the same problem we had with major labels all throughout time. Is it's not in their best interest to pay musicians because it's against their business model to pay the musicians. Yeah, it, it, and that's uh, uh, that's like. <laughs> I, I think we, you know we we bring this up every once in a while. Like you know sometimes I feel no remorse for artists being like. I didn't want it to go this way. And then, you know, it's like, well, you signed a record deal. You, you agreed to this. You had a lawyer. Yep. Over, like, but then there's other, then there's other scenarios where it's like, this is big business, right? This isn't like small indie label or whatever, even a major label. Like this is big, big business where there are hundreds of millions of dollars invested and dispersed and whatever throughout these companies. And with big business, there is no, true real thing is art. There may be people within those companies that love art more than anything else, more than money, more than whatever. But at the end of the day, uh, the people calling the shots nine out of the 10 times, they're there for the business. They're there for the dollars. And uh, I, I think I think one of the other things we have to remember is that, you know, it, it's very symbolic in much of America is that people are ethically for something, but when it's time to get mine... Well, the rules can go to the side, and I just got to do what's right for me. I think you know, generally, like the people who ran these, who run these major labels, like Jimmy Iovine and what do you call it, La Reid. These are all big music producers who cared about these things, but they lose sight of it when it comes down to, well, this is my money, and I work hard, and I built this, so I deserve this. I think that's the thing is it's easy to say, well, I deserve it. You know, you look at how many users Pandora has, and then this scumbag CEO goes, well, look at how many people I'm servicing. It's more important to me that these hundreds of millions of people get a good rate and my company keeps going than me paying musicians fairly. Yeah. Ugh. This yep. is like, I, there's, there's like a bad taste in my mouth over this. Cause frankly, like, you know, Pandora's a pretty old service at this point, but you know, what's in five years after Spotify or Apple or RDO or whoever the streaming champion is right. Five years from now, uh, you know, let's say uh, Spotify is paying artists the point oh 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 whatever percent they pay artists now. What's to say that they won't do something similar? You know, mm -hmm. uh, and that that's kind of the scary part, <laughs> right? It's yeah, like we're all we're, well. Uh, it's not not even if it's when. This is what they do. This is what they do. Yeah, they'll need to scale. Everyone needs to scale more and more. And hey, if we're making a billion dollars, it's not enough. We need to make two billion dollars. And that's great for investors, but you know, it ultimately it does come back to the artists. And it's hard not to feel kind of in the middle of these talks because sorry, in the middle, like emotionally, because I understand, right? I understand that Spotify wants to make a whole bunch of money. But it's all, but it's all, it also hurts. It also hurts. Well, was the, this was a discussion we had in a previous episode where we talk about, like, why does every company always have to grow? Like, somebody made a great tweet about, like, how Twitter's, like, really get just every round it ruins the product more and more. Like, being able to get direct messages from anybody on Twitter, this is, like, hell on earth. Somebody made the point they should just be turned to a nonprofit, stop trying to improve the product, leave it where it is, it'll make enough money to sustain itself, and let it be what's best for users. Stop trying to make it the biggest company on earth and win the social network. Network war. It's not going to happen. Stop trying to make fetch a thing. Yeah. Maybe we should just give up. 
Did we did we fail to save the music industry? No, it's still, it's still, still working on it night and day, dog. Maybe not this week since I was a little busy drinking, but I'm on. It's it. a shame that like on the fifty two on our year anniversary episode, somehow like we couldn't we couldn't be like you know everyone woke up today basically today being Thursday when this comes out, and uh, <laughs> it's a shame that that couldn't happen. And to be like, whoa, the music industry changed, and then like two hours later we release a podcast and like, yeah, who did that? We did. I mean, we we could get cartoons of us in Superman outfits, like the Avengers too. Did you see it? Did you see it in New Orleans? Never happening. I don't know why I do this fucking show, you guys. That's some of the best movies I've seen in forever. I will talk about it at the end of the show. Oh, okay. Anyway, all right. So we're gonna go on to user questions now. Yes, our lovely listeners. Thank you all. Fifty-two episodes yes. deep. You can continue asking us things with hashtag AskOTR. You can email off the record FM at Gmail. Uh, you can ask uh, questions. You're probably going to ask them anonymously on Tumblr, or you can just tweet Jesse. Uh, please, just tweet Jesse. D- no, DM me so I get really mad. I'll DM you. Okay. From a management perspective, how do you know when a band is tour ready? What steps can you take to help get them there? Additionally, when it, is it right to reach out to booking agents? It seems like many bands are doing it earlier and earlier on in their careers. Let's do it one question at a time. So... If you literally have just come up with a band name and you don't have any songs written and you can maybe play a Blink-182 cover song, you should probably not try to play a show yet. Is that accurate? Yeah. In the modern day, Jesse, do you think that artists should have even like a shitty demo on Bandcamp or SoundCloud before they play a show or no? Yeah, before you play a show, it's good to have songs. Right. Even if no one knows those songs, you should you should have some songs. I, I would say... In, yes. In, so th- this question specifically said tour ready, not like house show ready. Yeah. So we've talked about this before, but like, you know, you can do a weekend tour where there, you know, if people like you in your state. But I, I think if there, I think if you have significant doubts that if you live in New York and you want some of you're like, man, I really want to do a full U.S. tour. Or do you have 100 likes on Facebook and you don't know anyone between the Mississippi River and California and back, then you're probably not tour ready. You know, if you've. This is a constant theme, but, you know, like as a band, you should be building relationships. You should be reaching out with other upcoming bands that music you like or want to play shows with or want to tour with. You should be going out of your way to go to shows and support the community or maybe put on a show of your uh, uh, show for a tour yourself so that if that band on tour through a house show is from Ohio and you need a place to play a show in Ohio, maybe that band will help you back. It's all about building a community, and it is so hard. As much as we say that, like, I don't know myself how to do it. I didn't do it. I, I, I think I have a bit more of a pragmatic approach. Okay, thank you. Uh, so what I say in the book is, so if you're, let's pretend you're a hamburger chain, you're Shake Shack. What you don't do with Shake Shack is you don't go, okay, we opened today. Love Shake Shack, by the way. Yes, I mean, you know, um, as we do. You don't say, okay, I opened up in New York, and then if no one's really showing up, you go, I should go travel across the country with this thing and figure it out. What you do is, is when people start really liking it in your hometown, or maybe even sometimes your hometown's not working out, so you have to go a town over and open up one over there, open there. Let's call it even a food truck. Mm. You drive to a few towns, and if it starts to work in a few more towns, start driving further and further away. But until... It's starting to work some places close by. You shouldn't go, and you'll know when it's working. You'll know when it's not, and you'll know when there's a demand. Because the other thing is when it starts to work, too, let's say you play a Boston show, and kids are coming up to you afterwards and saying, we drove here from Worcester or Rhode Island or something. You know it's working, and you know there's a demand for you to go somewhere. When you're looking on the Internet and people are tweeting, come to my town, do it. 
That's when you're tour ready. It is not time to drive all the way across the country just because you have some money. It is so much better to instead save that money and try to build up a better recording, get a better representation of your music. I mean, after watching Montage of Heck, uh, the Nirvana documentary, like seeing the way they were doing it and like, you know, just the thing of like, okay, so you guys saved up some more money, get a better PA so you hear yourself, become a better band that practices more often, like invest back in yourself because the investment is not playing to eight people in Kalamazoo. Mm, I I would agree. I, that, that is actually a very uh, pragmatic. So... Then the next part of the question is, uh, when is it right to reach out to booking agents? Uh, your most booking agents are never going to listen to you. You're, they're going to find you when it goes. And at that, you're going to make friends with other bands that are going to tell the booking agents about you. If you're doing something good, you're wasting your time to reach out to booking agents. I agree. You, um, I, you know, sending a demo to a label in 2015 is, um, I wouldn't say useless, but is unlikely to have marginal, uh, you know, success for you in general, but I, I, with booking agents, it's even less. Booking agents, frankly, yeah. often get there, often get the bands that they book once they are established by managers, labels, or or um, friends of in bands or of other booking agents. It, it, booking agency is a weird world. Well, booking agents are even more in demand than labels. The fact of the matter is you're not getting into a booking agent without them hearing your recommendations from sometimes even more than one people person. If it's a manager they really love and have a close relationship, they may listen on the first time. But even with that, there's a lot of time they're just going to be like, yeah, I'm good, B, thanks. <laughs> so our next question. Does Jesse like anything? I'm not a huge fan of all-time low, but saying that they did bad things to this scene because they posed shirtless is a little extreme, don't you think? They're arguably the biggest or one of the biggest bands in this scene. Uh, exclamation point, Mark. Okay. I got to hang out with all of my old punk friends and we were having a nice little discussion about this this weekend. That every generation, so all the punk guys above us, even the ones we were friends with that are like seven to ten years older than us that were like took us under their wings and showed us how to be punk and cool and stuff. They thought what we liked was really lame. And that's just kind of part of the thing of getting older. And all-time low were the first time I felt very disillusioned because I find pretending you're some male model douchebag and having other people write your fucking songs for you, I don't find that punk. I find that fucking lame. To me, punk's about a genuine... I mean, we discussed this in the first episode. Punk is a no-bullshit, genuine, emotional thing, and that's some um, pandering bullshit to me. It's not my thing. I have no, no thing against them. I'm not going to say they're not punk, but they're not punk to me. Very simple. And I like tons of things, as I'll prove at the end of this episode. Okay, moving on. Um, what's up, guys? I love the podcast and listen every week. Um, I'm not sure if you'll be able to help me out, but I don't know who else to ask. I run a blog on Tumblr that focuses on music and movies, and I want to get my own unique HTML-themed design. Where should I look at to get this done, and how much will it cost? This is a question I get every once in a while. I uh, I think I said before, I, I was never happy with the Property Zach web design um, before the current one that we have today. It's very hard because the cost is a legitimate thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Some Some punk... Ask designer or coder may say, I need 2000 bucks to design a shitty Tumblr website for you. That you're going to get ripped off and you're not going to be happy. You know, I would say, honestly, if, if you can wait a little bit longer, I, I would maybe spend a little money on buying a custom Tumblr theme and then maybe spending, getting a free trial on lynda.com and learning a little bit about basic HTML code um, and, and mixing up things a little bit to make it a little more your own. 
Um, that'll maybe get you interested in, in being more okay and open to editing things. But also, um, you know, I think honestly, especially if you're relying on Tumblr, a lot of it is just getting people to read your stories or your posts. Um, and you know, you, it, frankly, if you, if you're getting followed on the Tumblr blog, on the Tumblr, on the dashboard, people are not looking at your website at the start. Anyway, they're looking at what's in the dashboard. So, uh, it, it's hard. Uh, I, if anyone wants to contact me, me that can spend a little bit of money on a very great, uh, web developer, I would be happy to put him in touch with you. Um, but it's tough to find the right guy, just like it is for anyone, uh, for any job. Uh, yeah, there's not a good marketplace for this. Like, I think one of the more interesting things is like, you know, sites like 99designs are making it very easy to find graphic design that you like by crowdsourcing. But it's not that easy to find this for a theme. And it is arguably a theme is arguably a different skill. And I think one of the other things people don't realize is how much strategy goes on behind a good theme. And a lot of the designers don't understand the strategy for it. Uh, if you want to read about strategy, though, there's tons of great blogs that go into that type of stuff. Yes. From at Dragon Mustache, is hashtag filmage worth a $5 rental? Is renting movies punk? Uh, I cried during filmage, and uh, the descendants are too punk for me. So it, it, It's a great movie, and you should always support people making great art. That's part of punk. Yes, spend the $5. It's worth more than that. I actually even bought the DVD. It's probably the last DVD I'll ever buy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to watch it again, actually. The next question from... Kespajewski is, have you guys seen the other F word? It's an amazing documentary of interviews about people in punk becoming fathers. Uh, I have seen it. I hate children. I didn't really find it that interesting. I but. saw it a few years ago, uh, I think with Justin from Anno, and uh, I was obviously interested in it because Mark Hoppus was in it. Oh, that's right. I liked it. Uh, I, I like, like, I, you know, I've not seen a lot of documentaries. The two we are talking about right now are probably the large majority of documentaries I've seen in my life. Um, I, I liked it a lot. I think it's, you know, I think anything like this, if you at all love punk music, is worth the watch. Agreed on that. If you like these bands, you're probably going to enjoy this a lot. This is a question for Jesse. What do you mainly listen for when uh, trying to match your mix with one of your client's influences? So this is a weird question. I'm going to diagnose it with one little thing, and I'm going to nitpick instead of it. It's hard to say that because it's what you learn to listen to with your ears, but here's the best piece of advice to say it, is you said mix singular. One of the worst things you can do when you're trying to take your clients' influences into your mix is, is to focus on just one song. One of the biggest mistakes I made for years when I mix is I just put on, let's say, Jimmy Eat World, Bleed American. I try to get my mix like that. You want to get a couple different records and get it in the area of that. Otherwise, you chase down a rabbit hole, try to get something to sound like that doesn't do the recording you did justice. Mm. Some, some, uh, some hot takes from Jesse Cannon. That's all I do, man. I'm serving them up like cakes. Wow. From Almost Atlantic, Atlantic with a K, not a C, are supergroups ever profitable or good all around for the artists involved? Does it help propel the involved artist's career at all? I like this question. Uh, this might have been asked for, because of a recent supergroup that popped up. Did you see that news? I didn't see this news. Okay. Give me one second as I Google uh, my own website. So uh, Dave Grohl. Uh, member, so members of Foo Fighters, Lamb of God, Alkaline Trio, Slipknot, and many other bands have formed a group called Teenage Time Killers. Oh, I did see this. Uh, and I, I think this is probably what spurred it. So there are about a million supergroup people in this band. They're releasing an album on Rise Records called Greatest Hits Volume 1 on July 31st. <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, it's funny. I've been talking to Rise about this like as friends for over a year because that's how long it took to bring it together, like two years, just because there's so many different people involved. And I imagine that this is part of why it was brought up. Uh, I think super groups probably like nine out of ten times are not profitable, right? Like, like true, like long term. I, I don't, like, I don't. Uh, I, I think that this is a weird thing to say because I think it's all case by case basis. With this, and I, I think you got we got to remember this too. I don't think that this is like one of those things where like all these people are in the group as permanent touring members. It didn't read to me like that. It read to me like this was a coy way of getting people excited for a with a press release for a project that really is just like, it's around like three or four guys who aren't even that big of the big names and that there's these guest stars on it. Mm-hmm. But regardless, are they profitable? Yeah, usually you're bringing in a whole lot of people and like we've seen super groups in the past. You're bringing in all these people who are passionate about these groups. It can be profitable. Is it going to be as profitable as your main gig? Maybe not. I mean, it also depends on what managers did this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it just depends. I, I would say that there's typically, I feel like, a lot of buzz around super groups that are like really super and then it often fades out and they don't continue to be a thing. Um A friend of the podcast show, Jack Appleby, uh, tweeted at us, why and how does it work when a band and a label uh, both have an album for pre-order? And uh, and this was asked because on Tuesday night, Monday, going into Tuesday night, midnight, uh, Run For Cover launched pre-orders for Me Without You's new album. Uh, It's called Pale Horses, and it is very good. Uh, So there is a pre-order at... um, mewithoutyou.com, and if you click it, it shows you pre-order, CD, vinyl, digital, or the deluxe version. Um, however, I will say um, that I'm not sure. So there's, so to clarify a little bit further, if you're interested in Me Without You, uh, if you go to their website, you can you if you click to pre-order CD, vinyl, or digital, it takes you to runforcoverrecords.com. If you pre-order the deluxe edition, uh, it's pretty wacky. It's $50. It is like 4 vinyl pieces there's a book and a seven inch and all that um i will say that sometimes in general that uh every deal is different so sometimes uh you know a band does a split release and the two labels that are part of the split release have copies in each of their web stores or sometimes the band gets a variant and then the label gets a variant um what i imagine may have happened here and i have no idea (laughs) um is that um me without you wanted to do a really wacky pre-order item, and uh, it's it ships in the late summer, so it was going to take a long time to get together, and it's only for their die-hard fans, maybe. And uh, they wanted to do it outside of Run for Cover, and Run for Cover was okay with that. Um, I can't really know without specifics, but I will say that there's often so many weird points that happen in record deals just to get them done, not that they're negative. But what I will say is I'm typically not a big fan of that. Um I think it's better to have all information in one place in general. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I don't think that that's the best strategy, but yes, that is a thing. Uh, so the next question we have, and I'll be our last question, is, is Hype Machine still a thing? So my first instinct is, for me, it's still very much a thing because I still use Hype Machine all the time. And when I'm looking for new music, that's probably the number one place I find it aside from the RDO new releases page. Hmm. Um, wow. It's a good place to find good new hip music if you're into hip dance or hip indie stuff. Um, It's very much still a thing because uh, if you go to compete.com, which is a website that shows you the growth of websites, uh, 
in March of 2015, they had their biggest month. And they, except for one month, have been growing every single month. Damn. So very much still a thing. I wonder if they're still a part of Spin Media. Who knows? So recommendations. I'll, I'll get my conflicts of interest out of the way. New Citizen album called Everybody is Going to Heaven was announced. Pre-orders are up. There's a new song at Noisy. Hop Along, have a new album out. This is not a conflict of interest. Uh, called Painted Shut. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, Me Without You, like I was just mentioning, have a new album coming out called Pale Horses. The first single's up. The album's really great. Those are my recommendations. I just watched The Avengers. Uh, I enjoyed it. Terrible. Um, I saw Ex Machina. And I think that's the, one of the best movies made in years. Oh, I want to see it so bad. Yeah, yeah, I just haven't yet. Yeah, it's... Uh, one of the only movies I've been compelled to see the theater more than once after seeing it because it was just so perfect. I watched the Kurt Cobain documentary montage of Heck last night. I thought that was stunning. And if you're even just mediocrely into Nirvana, um, it's still so worth it to watch it. It's so well done. I would actually argue it's the best produced music documentary as far as just values and doing cool things with visuals and story constructs. It was just incredible. And then the last recommendation I'll have is uh, Vice did a documentary called Under the Influence Hardcore, narrated by Tim from Rancid. And while it's not good as much as it's funny sometimes, <laughs> listening to Tim's bad narration can be pretty hilarious. It is really entertaining and heartwarming to watch. Cool. Yeah, I, I really need to see that movie. I'm excited to do it. There hasn't. There's not really a lot of movie theaters in Philly that are playing it, but it's it's on my list for me to see. Well, thank you for listening to Off The Record this week. You can keep up to date with us at offtherecord.fm. For those of you listening live on Adobe, feel free to go to Off The Record website to subscribe to us on iTunes or search for us in your podcast client of choice. We'll be back next week. Probably. <laughs> <laughs>